everyone. Welcome back to the Entry Level Podcast, where we talk about entry-level experiences in many forms. Careers, relationships, business, side hustles, money, travel, and so much more. Because we believe if you're always learning and growing, then you will always be entry-level at something. I'm Sarah Dudley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Bernard. On this week's episode, we are continuing our theme for the month around personal finance and achieving financial independence. So with us today to talk money is Grant Sabatier, Grant is the author of Financial Freedom and the creator of Millennial Money, which has reached over 10 million readers. Dubbed the Millennial Millionaire by CNBC, Grant went from having only $2.26 in his bank account to being a millionaire in five years, reaching financial independence at the age of 30. He writes about personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and mindfulness, and hosts the Financial Freedom podcast. Grant has also been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, Money Magazine, and many others. We are truly honored to have Grant here today to talk financial freedom. Many of us can only dream of financial independence by 30. I know Lindsay and I have already missed the mark. <laughs> so, so I know I'm eager to hear more about how you made it happen. So thanks for joining us, Grant. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. So I think I tease it a little bit there. Clearly, you made some big leaps between 25 and 30, <laughs> the ages of 25 and 30. So can can you give us a little bit of background about, I guess, you know, where you were when you had that $2.26, how you got there, and then, you know, in a nutshell, I guess, how you got, what, what things you did in five years to to get to be a millionaire? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I graduated with a philosophy degree. I bounced around a number of jobs after college. I never quite found the right fit. And I actually got laid off twice during that period. So at the age of 24, I found myself unemployed and living back home with my parents, literally sleeping in the same bed that I slept in as a seven-year-old kid. Um, they, I know it's terrible. They said that I could um, crash for three months, but that they weren't even going to give me a dime. So three months isn't a long time to kind of go from broke and turn your entire life around. Um, and you know, at the beginning of that period, I'd sent out over 200 resumes without a single call back, and I was pretty low. I woke up in August 2010, checked the balance on my phone because I wanted to go to Chipotle. And I saw that I had $2.26 left to my name. Um, it was a pretty low point. And I realized that I was going to have to do something very different than what I was doing. And so I was just doing a simple Google search that month and saw a Google ad. And I'd never seen a Google ad before. And it was on my phone. And so I started researching Google ads. I just did it literally a Google search for Google advertising. And I figured out that there was a ton of demand for people to run Google ad campaigns and that demand was projected to actually grow. So I was like, oh, there are jobs here. I'm going to see, I'm going to try to learn a little bit more about this. And so then the second link was for an actual Google website where, you know, I watched like a two minute intro to Google advertising. And more importantly, I learned that you could get certified by Google to run Google ads completely for free. 
all you had to do was take at the time was a one hour test online. And I was like, okay, I'm going to research this a little bit more. They had all the resources that you need. It was called Google AdWords University. So I went through that. I really fell in love with the idea. I was probably more intoxicated by the fact that maybe it could get me a job. So I ended up basically 30 days later getting Google AdWords certified. The first job that I applied, you know, I put that on my LinkedIn profile and on my resume. The first job that I applied to to manage Google campaigns, I got, and I was making $50,000 at a 30-person digital marketing agency um, in Chicago. By the end of that first year, I wasn't just running campaigns for my agency. I'd started my own little agency and I was running campaigns for law firms and realtors to help them generate clients. And I was spending my time learning how to build WordPress websites. And this is back in 2010 when it wasn't nearly as popular. And the first side client I got was a $500 website that I found on Craigslist, a lawyer was looking for a website. I did such a good job, he was so happy. He introduced me to some of his buddies and then an association in Chicago of lawyers. Three months later, so this is six months after I got the job, I sold my first $50,000 website project. And I had made more in three days on that project than I was going to make my entire year in the full-time job and that moment really completely changed my life. And by the end of that year, I'd made $300,000. I left the agency. I launched my own company. Then I ended up launching a second company with two other guys. One was focused on higher ed digital marketing. The other was focused on digital marketing for realtors. This entire time, I'm saving at that point, 60% of my income. And then I increased my savings rate to 82%. So I drove the crappiest car, an $800 Nissan Maxima <laughs> that I also bought on Craigslist. And I lived in an apartment that my wife then girlfriend would not even come over and hang out with me because <laughs> it was so crappy. But I, all my friends made fun of me, even though they knew I was making good money. But the entire time, fast forward, it took me five years, three months, and six days from the day that I checked my balance on my phone. On my site, you can see, you know, I took a screenshot that day with $2.26 in my account. Five years, three months, six days to have $1.25 million saved and invested. And that was the amount of money that I determined I would need to be financially independent and could live on for the rest of my life. Wow. wow. That, very wow. Okay. <laughs> that, that is incredible, first of all. Um, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. So, Sarah, I don't know. Did you have any off-the-top questions? Because I definitely have a few just from this beginning part. Yeah. No, like Lindsay said, lots to unpack there. I think one of the first things I took away from that is the first thing you did is you you kind of looked at your skill set and you identified a need in the market, one that you didn't necessarily have the skill set for, but then you self-taught yourself the skills that you needed yeah. to fill that need and essentially built a business out of it, and not just getting the job at the agency, but then continuing the side hustle and in a record time from the sounds of it, building your own agency, going out and finding clients. You make it you make it sound so easy. <laughs> what what were the biggest challenges you had in that time? Or were you so hungry for it that it just came that easy to you? So my entire five years was dedicated to this goal. It was very much 
once I figured out, it was really hard at first. I set really seemingly unrealistic goal just to save a million dollars. That was my first goal. And I didn't know how I was going to do it or if I was going to be able to do it. But I had not liked all the jobs that I had before I had to move back with my parents. I saw that my parents were in their late 50s at this point, still working. All of their friends were still working. A lot of them didn't have enough money saved to probably ever retire. And so I was like, I need to find a way to get out of this. I think it was kind of trauma driven. I think it was addiction addiction to money. Um, I think looking back on it, and this is what I write in my book, looking back on it, I realized that you don't need millions of dollars or to be financially independent to get like 95% of the benefits. Like you get 95% of the benefits even after you have six months of expenses saved or a year of expenses saved. And I realized that I was actually much more in control and more free much earlier on. And I probably could have stopped for a little while and taken a deep breath, but I didn't. I was very, I cycled through the entire five years. I probably took like a handful of Sundays off. And so I was work. at one point I had 13 different income streams. So it wasn't like I was just doing the digital agency. Mm -hmm. I had a I worked with my friend's moving company. I was flipping Volkswagen camper vans. I was buying and selling domains. I was uh, writing white papers. Like one point, the year that I made like the most money, over $400,000, it wasn't past me to like watch my neighbor's cat for $60 (laughs) while he went away for a long weekend. You know what I mean? Because I was doing it to invest because I figured that every dollar that I could invest. I realized very quickly that traditional advice of like saving five to 10% of your income, I was never going to be able to retire. And then I realized, okay, so what if I saved 30% of my income? And then I realized that I could maybe do it in like 20 years. And then once I was like, hey, you know, I'm already saving this much. And it started to feel like a game to me. Mm-hmm. Every morning I wake up, I still do this. I, I, I call it my money meditation now. <laughs> I didn't call it this back then. But I get up, I spend like five to 10 minutes when I'm having my coffee. I open my tracking apps. I look at how well I'm doing. And that actually sets my mindset and my intention for the day. I end up spending less money. I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable with money. Most of the reasons people are bad with money is simply because they don't spend enough time with it. You know, if you're only looking at your finances once a month or when you do taxes, money becomes something that's stressful. It's something you don't, it's something that you're, you're, you're giving too much power. And so for me, back to your question of, was it easy? No, it wasn't easy (laughs) at all. No, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I would have not made as many trade-offs now looking back. And that was the cool thing about writing the book is because I could reflect back and be like, uh, you know, I made a left turn here and you should make a right and you should sleep more and you should do more of the things that you love because uh, so many of the benefits that I didn't even realize so much earlier in the journey. Yeah. I I am like, I'm loving what you're saying. And, and when you were first going through your background and how you got to this point, the first thing that popped into my mind as you were talking was, you know, it's work hard, but work smart. And it seems like from what you went through, I mean, looking up, finding something to get certified in just to do something like the Google ad, a lot of people won't do that. And we've talked, we've actually talked to a lot of people. It's taking that initiative and being entry level at something, not to plug our podcast, but it's like, that's incredible that that's how you started this by being like a free test to get certified. Or I'm not sure if you said it was free. I might've added that in, but, and to to start you off. Oh, it was free. Yeah. So I feel, 
like works like you work hard and you work smart. And so I respect that. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was listening to your background. I read, so when I was studying up for this for this podcast, the first thing when I Googled you, the first headline that stood out was 34-year-old self-made millionaire. If you make 70000 a year, you could retire in 10 years. Here's how. And it was an article or it was a article written about you on CNBC. And so I read this article and I was laughing as you were talking because it sounded very like the advice you gave in this article was very similar to you telling your background story and the three things that you mentioned, one, cut your housing expenses, two, start a side hustle, and three, stick with it. And what I just wanted to point out was I said to Sarah before this started, I go, I'm going to ask him, is that really what it took or is this just kind of what he summarizes for? And it and if you can expand on that, I mean, it seems like these are really three of the kind of words to live by that you've, you've practiced since you started. Or are yeah, there absolutely. more? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly more. I mean, that's why the, the two most popular, I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people around the world and done hundreds and hundreds of interviews and written over half a million words about money. And the number one question I get, the number one and number two are, how did you actually do this? And how can I do it? And so yeah. that's why that's why I wrote the book. And money is not complicated. You know, the finance industry sells a level of precision and fear that's like really unrealistic. They make money keeping people in the dark. And so money is actually not very complicated. But interestingly, every moment of your life that you're making a decision, in a lot of cases, there's going to be a decision that moves you forward. And then there's going to be a decision that probably doesn't. And the thing with money specifically, these are categories of things. So the the, the average American spends 72% of their income on housing, transportation, and food. And we grow up being taught that, oh, you need to budget. And in the book, I have a chapter called The Only Budget You'll Ever Need, which is built around this, is that you don't get your savings rate from 5% to 30% by cutting back on your latte or your Netflix subscription. And in fact, we live in a world that tells us to cut back on all those small things, but it's those small things in your life, like the manicure, pedicure, the glass of wine. It's those things that actually bring you the most joy mm -hmm. usually. And we're told by the world to like cut those back and that we need yep. to save that money. When in reality, the way you move the needle is by moving to a smaller apartment or getting a roommate. Like, and not forever. You don't have to do it forever. It's just do it for a little while until you get to that next level of financial freedom. And this all comes down to trade-offs. And in the book, I talk a lot about, you know, I'm not telling you what to buy or what not to buy. Just realize if you're buying a $40,000 car, you've probably traded a, a year of your life for that car in order to buy it. And then you're going to have to work five or six more years in the future because you bought this car. And if the car is worth it to you, if you're like, I love my car, I love my truck, this thing fills me with so much joy, I love it so much, it's the best thing ever, then that trade-off might be worth it. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing with money is I didn't just like cut back on my housing. I cut back on my housing and cut back on my food and drove the cheapest car and side hustled to invest. And, you know, and so in the book, all these things are stackable where the sum is so much greater than the parts. But you get benefit just from reducing your housing expenses. Save that, and then that's going to help you get there faster. But if you want to reach financial independence, which is that point when you no longer have to work for money again, if you want to do that as quickly as possible, you want to focus on the sum instead of just the parts. 
And so you want to do all these little tweaks because the benefits are stackable. So you reduce your housing expense so you can save more. You reduce your food costs so you can save and invest more. There's a limit to how much you can cut back. That's one of the things like there's a limit literally to how much you can cut back until you're miserable. There's not a limit to how much money you can make. And so I, I see so many people, they focus on just like cutting back and pinching pennies and doing all these things. When in reality, they should be spending that time building new skills. Because in my opinion, skills are future currency. Like skills, the skills that you have are going to determine how much money you make over your life. And that's the thing about me, like all the money I've made, most of it I can trace back to a series of free YouTube videos. I never got taught how to build websites. I learned it all on YouTube. I've made probably over a million dollars building websites just from watching YouTube videos. And those are available to everyone. And yes, you have to take the initiative and you have to be curious. But if you want to do it as quickly as possible, you want to be doing this and that and investing your side hustle income. Most people just side hustle so they have more spending money. I side hustled exclusively so I had more money to invest because that's the amplification factor. And when you do all these things, a vast majority of people, if you're making $70,000 anywhere in this country, mm -hmm. except for maybe like Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York, but you can still do it in New York. I live in New York and it's totally possible. You, you can retire in 10 years or less. 100%. Yeah, I I think that's awesome. I'm like writing all this down because I feel like I need to do a better job at like thinking thinking about yeah. this stuff. You've got to read the book. Yeah, the book, I do the need book to read your book. book. Seriously, I'm I'm totally going to send you a copy. Yeah. You can check it. Or, uh, it's um I'll support you. Yeah. yeah. It's it's it, it is. I mean, this stuff is like I'm 100% transparent in yeah. the book. I think it's the highest ROI money book that you can read. It's not just like one idea and fluff. It's like a thousand steps that I took. And the thing is, I say in the book, just do like 10 of these and you're going to be, you're going to be so much further than most people. You know what? But if you know, not, not as many people are as crazy as I am and that's fine. That's good. You have to realize that like, I am like on the outside, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And also like people always ask me, they're like, Oh, like, Oh, that's so cool. And like, 98% of the things in my life, like I am not good at. I did not fold my clothes yesterday. I did not make the bed this morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like money is one of those things that is, I feel like I've figured out and it's kind of my, my superpower because that's a trade-off too. That's a trade-off too. Is that why you're giving back now and you're kind of going out on your own or is that something you always wanted to do? So you started your own the ads and then you started your own digital design and, and things like that. So is the book, all this these things you're doing now, your blog, your podcast, is this to give back? Is this, are you still, is this just your full-time career? Are you still doing the digital advertising thing? That's a great question. So in 2015, after I became financially independent and I took a little bit of a deep breath, I was like, whoa, I learned an insane amount about money that no one knows, that no one's talking about. And so I launched Millennial Money just to share what I'd learned, just to be like, hey, I did it look, here's what I did. That was, the, that was the sole purpose. I was like just trying to unpack everything that had just happened. And then about a year later, 2016, my traffic started growing. And I remember it was like November, 2016, I got my first like really heartfelt reader email. And it was just like, you changed my life. I saved $13,000 this year. And then two days later, I got another email. And then I started getting more emails. And now I have, I'll look right here in Gmail, 17,681 reader emails since November, 2016 that are just like that. 
I got one yesterday from an 11-year-old in San Jose. I want to be you when I grow up. And one of these things, I can tell you one thing, those emails, even every time I still get them, they fill me with a level of joy Mm -hmm. that is so much greater than any amount of money I've ever made. But I, I, and I couldn't have ever anticipated this. Like me five years ago, it was like money, 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 singular focus. I'm going to get out. I wouldn't even recognize who I am to get today. And the thing about life is people will tell you to find your why and ask you what makes you, you know, what you're passionate about and what makes you happy. And the thing is, I didn't know. And the thing is, I actually think those are bad questions because most people don't know. And if you're listening to this and you don't know what your passion is or you don't have a mission or you might even not know what makes you happy, that, that's okay. You're not alone. You might just need the time and space to figure that out. My purpose in life showed up when I least expected mm-hmm. it. It was that email. And then for me, I can tell you it was that that started the process of I had enough money. I separated from my two business partners with my one company. I unpacked, you know, I had, I had a bunch of employees. So it, t- it took some time, it took about a year and a half. And then I broke down my other agency, got rid of all my clients, and I dedicated myself 100% to the mission of making financial independence available to everyone. I think that financial literacy should be a human right. Stress about money is like the number two reason for suicide, the number two reason for divorce. Money is like only important if it helps you live a life that you love. And I think the way that we're taught about it in this country and we think about it in this country is completely backward. And I have leaned fully into this mission and I've dedicated my life to it. And that's from speaking at schools to colleges to building curriculums and now writing financial freedom which is going to be published in a bunch of languages all over the world. Life's too short to, to not love your life. And money, it's often, I really find that most people that are really stressed out in their life, they think there's no way out. But when I talk with them, I realize they're like two or three steps away from a life that they'd really love. And often two or three of those steps, they have to do with money. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to help people find more time and space and freedom in their life so that they can focus on those things that really matter and money itself is infinite you can always go out and make more but you're you're never going to you're never going to get back this moment this moment is really all there is and people make too many trade-offs around money they think that time is money but time is so much greater than money yeah that's i think i was going to ask you you know what are some of the benefits that you've seen from becoming financially independent and it sounds like you know that space and that opportunity to find your purpose to have these moments with people where you're changing their life in in many ways is one huge byproduct of it is there any other major opportunities that you've had by you know being financially independent at such a young age yeah absolutely so one of the things that i've realized so this is probably six months ago now Um, I was eight months after I'd unpacked all my companies and I'd left the corporate world and I was writing the book and I was, I was in Cornwall, England on a writing retreat. So I was trying to finish the book and it's where Virginia Woolf used to go a vacation. And I was out on like one of the, I think it might even be the westernmost tip of Europe. And I woke up one morning, it was like 9am and I was having my coffee and looking out over the, the ocean and I had a weird feeling. And I was like, what's this feeling? I feel really weird. What is this feeling? And it was the first time in my life that I realized I was at peace. And it took me eight months of what I call my corporate detox. I couldn't chase after that. I had to arrive at that point. And so much of our lives we spend 
chasing that next job promotion or the million dollars or even financial independence that we chase that thing out there. We're always going after something when in reality, like the piece is almost always already within you. The only thing that you can take, no matter where you live, where you move, what job you have, the only thing that's always with you is yourself. And for me, I realized I just needed the time and space with which to open to that. And I could, that couldn't have happened. I was always too busy. I was always too crazy. It's really, really hard to, to truly grow in ten, with 10 vacation days a year or in a long weekend or like with five minutes of meditation in the morning. And if that's all you can do, it's a great start. Just realize that life happens you just have to let it happen. And I always encourage people to do things like block off a Sunday once a month and just go like lay under your favorite tree in a park. And I know that sounds like really weird and maybe really dumb, <laughs> but just do it with no expectations. And I can tell you one thing, like if you truly stop in your life and you just like exist, things start showing up and things start showing up, meaning you start to realize that Maybe you shouldn't stay at this job that, that stresses you out. You start to see it really clearly. And that's one of those things for me is my, my sort of growth since becoming financially independent has only truly happened once I gave myself the permission to truly do nothing. Yeah, that's amazing. I think so many, so many times, so many people get so caught in this rat race of life, right? Where it's like, wake up, go to work, come home, lay on the couch, watch TV, go to bed, do it again. <laughs> you know, we get so caught up in the the rat race of life that we forget to do those things and forget to have those moments. So I think that's an incredible opportunity if people can kind of follow your guidance and tips that are in your book and, and you know, in your blog and podcast, they can perhaps start to get to a better point in their lives where they can do more of those things too. Do you, you know, for people, as we start to, to wrap up here, do you have any other top tips for people to kind of get started if they're at a point in their life right now where they, they don't feel like they're able to save a lot or do a lot to reach that? that feels like such a far away point for them. What I guess are maybe three tips you would give people to, to start thinking more aligned to getting themselves to a better place financially? Yeah. The first thing I do is I'd recommend maybe after you listen to this, just take a moment, take just kind of 10 minutes and just look around and think about where you're at in your life and ask yourself, is this enough for me? And you'll have one or two answers. You'll either be like, wow, I have an amazing partner and I have great kids and I have amazing friends and I have a job that I like and really like my life. And then in that case, you've, you've already won the game and money is become secondary. Money should be used to help you live that life that you already have and already love to the fullest. And so knowing where you're at, if you ask that question and you look around your life and you're like, I could do better than this, there's more that I could do here. And please know that money itself is a path to freedom. And it, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not a magic pill. There's no secret. That's important to note. There's no secret. I've been through, I've read everything about money. There's no magic bullet or magic secret. You know, there's just a few simple things that really work. And one of those things is 
figuring out exactly where you are. Like if you're just getting started and you don't know what your net worth is, you got to start there. And your net worth is just your assets, anything you could sell, cash minus your liabilities, which is your debt. Your net worth is your personal finance scorecard. It's where you need to start. It's something, it's, it's what you need to monitor over time. And it might be really uncomfortable to do that, but you have to get clarity on where you are before you're going to go anywhere. That's really good advice. And and then after you get there, what you need to do is try to really kind of make a list of those things that make you happiest. And now I'm, I, the important thing here is you go from like non-money thing to money thing to non-money, what makes you happiest. And when you actually make a list, because what makes you happiest, this is how you look at your expenses. Look at everything that you spend and ask like, is, is this supporting that life I want to live or is it not? And oftentimes you're going to find things that really aren't supporting that life. And the best way to do that is by making a simple list of the things that make you happiest. And I can tell you what, in my list, the eight of the 10 things were either very inexpensive mm-hmm. or free. It's walking my dog in a park on a Sunday. It's hanging out with my wife. It's, it's, it's reading a book in a hammock, you know, by the ocean. You know, it's things that like are very inexpensive or free. And you want to build your life to maximize those things. And that's the lens that you look at your expenses. And so is this helping me live that life or is it not? And then finally, the next thing is focusing on, okay, now I need to understand how I can increase my savings rate because there's a direct correlation between your savings rate and the years that it's going to take you to retire. Direct correlation. And that's very, you know, uh, if you go to financialfreedombook.com slash tools, I built nine calculators. They all work on your phone, easy to use. And you can just plug in your own numbers. You know, it's all anonymous. Like it doesn't save any of your data. And you can figure out what your savings rate is. And more importantly, it can tell you, like you can just play around the scenarios if you change your savings rate, so say you're saving 3% of your income, it's going to tell you based on the money you do have. If you increased your savings rate to 20%, and we talked about the easiest way to do that is to just move to a different housing situation, all of a sudden you've cut your time from retirement from 50 years down to 25. And then if you can get your savings rate up to 30 or 40%, you've cut your time to retire most people from 25 down to 14. And then if you can get it to 50%, then all of a sudden you've gone from 15 years to 10 or 11 years. And 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 the easiest way to, to get those savings, obviously, is with your housing, transportation, and food. And then the final tip, if you hear this and you're like, I can't save any more money, you have to use what I call my 1% strategy, which is, you know, if you have a 401k or 403b plan, or even a savings account and a bank account, you can set it up to contribute 1% more per month automatically. And so if you're saving 3% of your income after you do that calculation and you start saving 1% more, 1% of what you're making, cutting that back, I can guarantee you're not going to feel it. And you're going to go from 3% to 15% by the end of the year, and you won't even have noticed it. And not only will you not have noticed it, but you'll have gone from 3% to 15%, and you'll have cut at least 12 years off the time that it'll take you to retire. And you do that the next year at 12%, then you're at 27% savings. And then you do it the next year at 39. And all of a sudden in three years, you've gone from saving 3% of your income to 39% and you haven't really felt it. And you've cut your retirement time 50 years down to, to, to less than 20. And it's just 1% per month. And 
that's the great place to start. But one of the things I can tell you is if every morning you wake up and check your net worth, no matter where you're starting from, even if you owe 40000 or $50,000, you're going to see once you start investing, that number just go up a little bit. And then the next day, you're going to see it go up a little more. Maybe it'll go down the next day. But you'll start seeing the numbers go up as you invest more money. And that in and of itself, just that momentum alone, every day you're going to come excited to look at your net worth. And you're no longer going to be afraid of money. It's no longer going to be some confusing thing that you don't know about. It's going to be something you understand and know how to manage and know how to get. And then you just keep doing that. And it becomes addicting. You know, money becomes something that's fun. It's like a friend that you know, and then you just keep at it. And once you get that momentum, it's all about that momentum. Get to six months of expenses saved, and you're going to feel, you're going to be able to sleep at night. You're going to feel a lot more control of your life. And then the next step, saving two years, it might take you a little more, two years of expenses. But by the time you get there, you have so many options in life, and you didn't even need to save a million dollars, and you're going to have so much more freedom to do what you want and ultimately to spend your time doing what you love as opposed to just being stressed about money. I always say that financial freedom is whatever helps you sleep. At I'm night. feeling very motivated right now. I was just going to say that. I'm like, I'm like bursting with inspiration. Yeah. I'm like, I, there's so many things I need to do. No, this was, thank you so much, Grant. This was really, really good. I'm like, I wrote down a lot of things that I need to do myself. So including read your book. So this was, um, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and our listeners, I think they will find it very, very interesting and helpful. So thank you. Yeah. Just check out financialfreedombook.com to learn more or just uh, financial freedom on Amazon. You'll see it's the bright blue, pretty book. And yeah, let me know what you think. This stuff changed my life and it's changed tens of thousands of my readers' lives. And it's, uh, it works. I mean, it's, it's, this is, truly a path to freedom and it's literally never been easier in history to, to make it happen. So I'm really excited to hear what you think and I really appreciate you having me on the show. Definitely. Um, but before we go really quick, we just want to wrap with a quick segment that we like to do. We, we switch it up every episode and we thought for the, to wrap your episode since you've had you, your career path has definitely been interesting. If we just go around really quick and talk about maybe our first job that we had and how it helped us or maybe what we regret about it now that we're all removed from that first job. So Sarah, do you want to kick us off really quick? Sure. Yeah. So I will admit my first ever job was at McDonald's working the cash register up in St. Albans, Vermont. So I was 15 years old. It was the only job you can really get when you're 15 years old, I think. And so I am only slightly ashamed to say that I only survived about two weeks there before realizing it just wasn't for me. First of all, they were making me work absurd in a number of hours and I was still in high school. So it just it was a great student, also did sports. So it was it was not something I could sustain for a long period. But ultimately, it led me to working for my dad in the summer times instead of doing more of like the traditional working at like a grocery store or fast food type restaurant. So I got to spend that led me to spending a lot of really good quality time with my dad over the next few years. So that was my good takeaway from my two weeks at McDonald's. <laughs> nice. What about you, Grant? So my first job after college, I had a number of different things that I did. I had mowed lawns and had a little lawn mowing company in high school. But my first actual job 
was working at like a call center analytics company. You know, you like call in and they're like, this call may be recorded for yeah. quality assurance. Well, like I was working for a company that like did that quality assurance. And so you listen to calls all day trying to like look at patterns and it is really, it may be fascinating for someone, but it was insanely grueling and boring and terrible. And I had to get up every morning. It took me two hours and 15 minutes to get to work and even longer to get home. So I was waking up at like 4.30 and I remember calling my dad like a month into this and I was telling him, complaining about it. And he was just like, welcome to the real world. Yep. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was terrible. They ended up laying me off like six and a half months in because I clearly wasn't making them enough money. And that was, that was that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's awesome. Um, well, I'm going to go, I, mine's a little different. I'll go the path of what Sarah did. And I grew up in Maine. So I know a lot of people are probably familiar with Old Orchard Beach, big pier, kind of like Hampton Beach. But there is a Dairy Queen right by the pier. And it was, I got to be honest, it was a dream job for high schoolers. Like a lot of people wanted to work there because they pay, they actually paid well. There wasn't, they didn't serve food. It was just ice cream, like right on the corner. And you, the, we also, because of like, it was the pier and it was Old Orchard Beach, we stayed open until like 11 at night. So if you worked the night shift, you made a ton of tips in those little cups. So we used to walk, not only were we getting paid minimum wage to be there, we would walk out at night with like $40 in tips. And when you're in high school, I mean, you, you feel like you're rich, you know, if, especially if you're working three or four nights a week. And I worked with a couple of my other friends. And so we um, actually enjoyed working there in the summers um, in high school. And I think I worked there my first summer out of college uh, before I started interning and stuff. But yeah, so Sarah, I'm right there with you. I was Dairy Queen. The fast food stuff, you know, it's the yeah, stuff yeah. every high schooler <laughs> dreams of. Yeah, seriously. Um, I didn't even know there was a beach in Maine. I'm just Googling <laughs> Old Orchard Beach. It's so beautiful. Oh yeah, Maine's uh, very pretty. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah, no, it's good. It was fun though. So yeah, if you get a chance, go up and uh, visit Old Orchard Beach, good pure fries. Dairy Queen and Bill's Pizza, and you're all set. <laughs> so you get them all in the same building. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I'm not really just kidding. They're all still there. <laughs> so you can go. Um, but no, this was great. And Grant, again, thank you so much. This was really informative. And we will absolutely post um, the links to your book and how to contact you when we do a promotion for the episode. But we just really thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks.